0: You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal L.A. Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out.
1: All right. Let's, be, uh, let's go ahead and get back into our seats here. It is uh, it is great to be together tonight uh, with all the singles. Let's go ahead and have seats open up our Bibles. We're gonna get into the Word of God tonight. Pay attention. <laughs> I know I did. <laughs> all right, let's pray together. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, uh, we are so honored so honored to be able to open your word tonight. Uh, Father, I know that we are coming in here with all kinds of uh, craziness on the way here, uh, whether it be uh, just a heavy-hearted feeling, whether it be overwhelmed, whether it be stressed. Uh, Father, whether it be joyful and victorious, uh, defeated, complicated, whatever it is that we're feeling, I pray that we can cast off uh, all of these anxieties, put them before you. And open our hearts and our minds to be refreshed by your word. Uh, Father, I really pray that your word will purify our hearts, purify our minds tonight. And that we would leave here just thinking deeper about you, uh, wanting to study your word even more and build our lives based on uh, your scripture. Thank you so much for the direction that you provide uh, from your word. Thank you so much for uh, your spirit. Thank you so much for Jesus Father, we just want to be a little bit more like him every day, and I really pray that uh, this would help us to strive to imitate Christ in a great way. Uh, Father, I'm so thankful for uh, the Singles Ministry in Coastal LA and just uh, all the ways that you have blessed the Singles Ministry over the years, and uh, Father, the way that you are moving through this ministry to reach many souls to your glory, and I really pray that you would bless every man and woman here today, and uh, please be with us in our time in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Divine Romance. This is the closing of our series that we've had here this past month. And from what I understand, it's been an awesome time getting to uh, get into God's word and understand uh, his plan, his design for healthy relationships. And uh, speaking of a great relationship, you know, um Dating, usually you date to be able to find uh, a mate for marriage. And uh, Clay and Yana are getting married here soon. All right. Clay Kenworthy, our brother here. Uh, Clay and and Yana, I'm not going to try to say your last name, but, uh, you know, it's just Yana. You guys know Yana, right? Come on, Yana. So Clay wanted me to make sure everybody here knows they're getting married March 19th on Thursday night, 5 o'clock, at the Reef Restaurant. Everyone here is invited to the ceremony. So, a lot of us love Clay and Yana. If we want to encourage them, let's really be there uh, to witness this great uh, miracle in Clay's life. <laughs> it's a miracle. I mean, did you guys see the beard the other day? Come on, it's a miracle.
0: <laughs>
1: we have been, uh, from what I understand, it has been a great time talking about relationships, relationships. Um, how, how to build great discipling relationships, mentoring relationships uh, with one another. I want to close out tonight uh, talking about the topic of breaking beyond the barriers. Uh, really, the power of love, God's, God's definition of love, to break beyond the barriers, to break through stereotypes and prejudices and all that kind of good stuff. Well, not good stuff, Bad. some bad stuff. You know this um, this month is uh, Black History Month, and uh, you know we um, I just saw I shared this on Sunday with GLB, but I saw that the movie uh, Selma recently, and uh, what an inspiring movie! Um, and you know there's this one scene when I shared this I shared this on Sunday, but there's this one scene where, where Martin Luther King comes in to a hotel in Selma, and a guy wants to just meet him, right? And a white guy, and, and he goes up to shake his hand. The guy punches him, and uh, Martin Luther King, just junior, just kind of, Dr. King, just kind of, you know, he doesn't retaliate. He just kind of moves on and and says, "Wow, that guy, that white guy knows how the white people can hit," you know, and uh, just kind of moves on. But but I thought about not just that one scene, but this, just the many occurrences of um, just difficulty that he went through, and so many in that civil rights movement went through. And yet, without retaliation, uh, without violence, we're able, with love, to be able to break down a barrier, right? And so one of the things that Dr. King said here is, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Um, Our world, our society, if you watch the news, has it all wrong. Hatred and violence... Will never resolve division, separation or injustice. There is only one way to resolve those things, and that is through love, decision, love, not love as an emotion or a feeling, but love as a decision. And a few months ago, well maybe no, about like a couple about a year and a half ago um did a sermon series out of this book called Love Works. You guys remember that? Yeah. Some of you guys were, were around when we did this. But the premise of the whole series uh came from 1 Corinthians 13. You know, love is patient, love is kind, love is uh is not uh does not is not self-seeking and these kind of things. And and we studied uh this 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 love, the agape love, agape meaning unconditional, meaning self-sacrificing it, we studied this out, and what the book was talking about, how that that this sort of love, the is it, it changes, it can affect any decision, any situation uh, to treat people uh, correctly and to have healthy relationships. So in other words, this guy was talking about to businessmen, to business people, to CEOs, and he's saying, listen, if you start treating people with this sort of 1 Corinthians 13 sort of love – it can change your whole business. all right. So he's not even talking about the religious aspect of it or the, the the spiritual aspect of it. He's just talking about profiting and making more money. He's saying if you treat people the way that God commands you to treat people from the Bible the, the, and to make the decision to love, the decision to, to serve people, it changes everything and, and, and we studied this idea that agape love changes work environments, changes family dynamics, marriage interactions, friendship expectation, hence the title of the book, you know, Love Works, right? So Jesus, I wanna do we're gonna do a little Bible study tonight, okay? So I hope that you're ready to, I, I'm going to have most of the passages up here so you'll be able to read along, but I, just because I want to kind of go through some of these patches, passages quickly, but uh, if you want to write some of these down, this is a great quiet time to actually have uh, on your own. But, you know, Jesus, in his ministry, he taught many things that were very difficult and are difficult to accept. And the one one of the things that he spoke about that probably gets neglected or kind of pushed aside most often because... It is a very difficult teaching to to grasp because we don't want to deal with this. And this is what he says in Matthew uh, chapter 5 and verse 33. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Now, this is a very in-your-face teaching. He's telling us, what if instead of hating your enemy and thinking about the way that you can cause revenge on your enemy, you, you decide to love your enemy, to pray for your enemy? Because at the end of the day, God's sun shines on both the good and the evil, the righteous and the unrighteous. So no, everybody, you can be as different as, as you want to be, but in God's eyes we're all the same, right? And so he's like, listen, at the end of the day... Love, I tell you, love your enemy. And so I uh, thought about this. I'm like, man, what if? You know, as Americans, we're like really into, man, we got to go get the enemy. We got to go defeat the enemy. We got to go kill the enemy. You know, ISIS is the enemy right now. Uh, we got to go kill him. We got to go attack him. You know, and I'm not trying to make a political statement here and if like that. Trust me, but I'm just saying. As disciples, as followers of Jesus, are we not held to another standard in terms of praying for your enemies? I mean, guys, this is... Can you imagine sitting in the crowd listening to this? As a Jewish person who has been robbed by tax collectors over and over again to pay for an oppressive government... Cheated over and over, and you're telling me I've got to love them and pray for them? This is totally counter to our nature. It's against what we think of. We want justice. We want fairness. We want revenge. Think about driving on the freeway. Just the other day, I was driving on the freeway, and I literally had this thought as this person cut me off, just came, like almost sideswiped me, and I had the thought: I hope they crash. Or I hope hope the cops find them. How come the cops always find me, but they don't find that guy? I want the cop to find that guy and give that guy a ticket. Right. How many of us have had that thought? Come on. Let's be honest here. Okay, we've all had that thought. You see, but God's way, God's way for the follower of Christ is different. Now, this person that cut me off is not technically my enemy, but in the moment he feels like my enemy. Right. Right. And God's way for the follower of Christ is to love your enemy. To pray. What if I would have just, God, I pray for this person. I pray for their salvation. I pray that they would come to find you one day. Instead of, God, I pray that you find this person and get this cop on his butt. You know what I mean? The, the thing about loving your enemy or breaking through barriers to love Somebody who's difficult to love or to serve somebody who may be difficult to serve because they're so different from you. The thing with this is that it's something beyond our human capacity. It's beyond our human nature, and it can only really happen in a relationship with God. God, his spirit gives us the ability, the strength to love beyond the barriers. And I'm not talking about this peace and love. I love you, bro. I love you, man. Hey, we're all together, all nations. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where where we are deciding to go the extra mile for this person, deciding to serve this person, deciding to let that offense just slide off our back and still consider them, Philippians 2, value them above ourselves. The early church, we're going to do a little Bible study in the book of Acts, okay? The early church struggled. They struggled with this in a great way. There's a lot of stuff happening in the in the in the church in the Book of Acts, and uh, you know the the in Acts chapter two you see the Holy Spirit descending on the followers on about 120 followers of Jesus, and they start. Speaking in different languages, right? At the day of Pentecost, and and then in the middle of the whole thing, Peter, the apostle, gets up and preaches this message, and in, in one day, right, three thousand get baptized in one day, and and then a, f- a few chapters later, Peter and John are are walking up to the temple course to do a prayer time, and and they're threatened, uh, and arrested and threatened for preaching about the resurrection of Jesus, but but then they're released. Um, and they come back, and the church gathers not to pray for their safety, but to pray for boldness to continue preaching the Word. And, and the Lord blesses the church, and the church continues to grow and uh, with much more boldness and more lives and souls added to their number. Um, and then with extreme generosity, right, people are bringing, selling fields and bringing the money and laying it at the apostles' feet and saying, hey, just, just disperse it as you see fit, right? And then we see some conflict in the church. Some of the Greek-speaking Jews start arguing with some of the Hebrew-speaking Jews about their widows being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so we begin to see how the outside culture is now starting to infiltrate the early church. And so now these Hebrew Jews from Jerusalem... Who thought of themselves, think of themselves more highly than the Grecian Jews. So the Hebrew Jews are better Jews. I'm a better Jew than you because you're from outside of Jerusalem. And therefore, I'm better than you. I should not be overlooked in the distribution of food. We should be a priority. And you guys are a secondary priority. I mean, this this is what's happening because in the culture, that's what was correct. That That was normal. And so this is now infiltrating the church, right? And so there's some racial and cultural divide amongst the Jews. We're not even getting to the Gentile part yet. It's just amongst the Jews themselves. And so the apostles get together, and in chapter 6, they appoint seven men to handle the distribution of food. Now, most of these men have Greek names. So it was a kind of a smart move on the apostles to choose Greek guys, Greek Jews, to serve the Grecian Jews, Right. And to handle the situation. And it says in Acts chapter 6 and verse 5, the proposals pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicomor, uh, Timon, uh, and Pumbaa. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Parmenas (laughs) and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And it says after this happened that the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So God blessed the plan, right? So, okay, so you got the cultural, racial divide kind of entering the church amongst the Jews, right? And so the apostles through the Holy Spirit kind of figure this out. They get a plan going and it's all working and the Lord is increasing in number the, the, the number of the church and and then there's a there's a shift that happens in the church and Stephen one of these seven full of the faith so it wasn't one of the 12 apostles Stephen he preaches a strong sermon there in the temple courts okay you guys are you guys following me here okay Stephen preached a strong sermon that gets him killed i have never preached a sermon that gets me killed or attacked but this guy did gets him killed and we are Suddenly introduced to Saul, who eventually becomes the great apostle, Paul, right? And so in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, and Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. It says here that godly men buried Stephen. I don't know who was there, but I have to assume that some of the original seven, some of the guys, some of the homies there, probably got together to be there with their friend. Man, we were appointed together. We were serving together. And he preached a message, and it got him stoned. It got him killed. And so I'm going to assume that some of these seven uh, were burying their friend Stephen. And Saul becomes the most intense and feared enemy of the church, going into villages, dragging, it says here, dragging men and women to prison, separating, dividing families. And we're told what happens after in this passage, what happens to one of those seven. His name is Philip. It says here, those, those who have been scattered preach the word wherever they went isn't that awesome they're being persecuted and they just wherever they went they just preached the word they did not know what else to do they're Just going to preach the word philip went down to a city in samaria and proclaimed the messiah there when the crowds heard philip and saw the signs he performed they all paid close attention to what he said for the shrieks impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed so there was great joy in that city And in the rest of chapter 8, if you read that chapter, we see Philip start the church in Samaria, and then he goes on the desert road to Gaza, and he converts the Ethiopian eunuch, who probably in turn goes down to Ethiopia and starts the church there, right? Then in chapter 9, we see Saul is getting more and more aggressive. And so Jesus himself has to share his faith with Saul, and comes to him in a vision, and rebukes Saul's lifestyle and perspective, and he becomes a follower of Jesus, And all of a sudden, you have the most feared enemy of the church become the most focused and determined and committed follower of Jesus in the church. You can just imagine what his first church service was like. (laughs) Think about it. Saul just dragged off your uncle to jail. And now he's coming to the church service to sing songs with you, holding your hand and praying with you. The amount of trust that was broken, the doubt that it caused. Did he really repent? How do I know if he repented? Or is he just doing this to get into the church to destroy it even more? And so Paul had to deal with this over and over in his first few years as a convert. And after many years, it's, you know, after many years, if you kind of do the, the the timeline here, Paul goes, you know, he goes on missionary journeys and he starts churches and gatherings of followers of Christ all over the known world. And years and years pass after he's done his third his his three missionary journeys that are recorded here, and he's journeying with his friends back to Jerusalem, where he knew he would encounter opposition and most likely be arrested, and tried for his faith, and he stops in Caesarea. And he stays with Philip. Now, we haven't heard from Philip since chapter 8. But then we get like just a, just a glimpse here in chapter 21. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. I don't really know what that means about his daughters. But they prophesied. That's kind of cool. But this is the only other mention we see about Philip in the Bible. And so as I kind of see the the, the the picture here, what strikes me are a few things. Philip, one of the seven, he was probably one of Stephen's best friends. He may have been even one of those guys who buried Stephen. He knew who Saul was. For sure knew who Saul was. He knew... That Saul was showing in that moment his approval for the violent execution of one of his best friends. Philip was also a victim of Paul's earlier persecution. He had to leave Jerusalem and go to places that weren't in his plan. He was inconvenienced by Paul. Yet he trusted God and was used by God to advance the message of Christ to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. Now think about it. Philip, after all these years... At least that we know of. I don't know if there might have been another contact point. But that we know of that's recorded here. After all these years. He sees Paul. And you can just imagine him opening the door. And seeing Paul. And the flood of memories. Flashbacks coming to his mind. Emotions. But he's also heard of all that Paul has done. And his repentance. And I'm sure... I'm sure he still had his reservations, even though he'd already seen some amazing transformation stories himself. But this one hit home. His best friend gone because of this man, Paul, who now is going to spend the night at his house. Now, can you imagine Paul's demeanor and Paul's reaction? They may have had to have some intense discipling time. Let's get open about how we really feel about each other. Paul, even though he knew he was forgiven, probably spent the whole time apologizing in tears, in tears over and over again to his brother Philip. The other guys that were with him probably didn't even know the history of this relationship. And so Paul would have had to rehash the whole story to help them understand, bringing up old wounds. But more than anything, I'm sure it was a huge reminder to Paul of how much he had been forgiven and how grateful he needed to be for God's grace being shown to him by one of Jesus' most famous followers, Philip the Evangelist. I, I look at this, I mean this is a lot of this, you know, it's it's a you can study this on your own. But I look at kind of the bigger picture of it and I, I really look at this as an example of Jesus' words in action. the transforming power of Jesus' work on the cross because it's only through the cross of Christ and his resurrected life that a guy like Philip would let a guy like Paul into his house. I'm going to love my enemy. I'm going to pray for my enemy. And Paul's demeanor, I'm going to humble myself and realize i i messed i messed up before before i was a true follower of jesus and this guy lost one of his best friends and yet you see them in the fellowship together and that's the power of deciding to love somebody not the feeling not the emotion not the butterflies not the love songs on the coast not none of that This is, I am deciding to love this person as Christ has loved me. I think interactions like this are what made Paul so determined and so focused on sharing the gospel with non-Jews. Helping the Jews to see that they were no longer a superior race or God's people, but that there was now a new people through Christ. And Paul himself, you know, in Philippians, describes himself as a Jew of Jews and a leader amongst the Pharisees at the highest level of Jewish education, and yet he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, let me just share a description of how Jews felt about those outside of the Israelite nation, which is considered a Gentile. This, this is what William Barclay says about a description of what Jews felt. The Jews said, "...that God created Gentiles as fuel for the fires of hell, that of all the nations God made, He loved Israel alone, and that the best of serpents crush and the best of Gentiles kill, that it was not even lawful to aid a Gentile woman in labor because it would only bring into the world another Gentile. The barrier was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, a funeral for that boy was carried out. Even setting foot in a Gentile's house defiled a Jew." That's, that's the cultural upbringing that is happening when the Jews now are hearing that Paul is converting Gentiles. And now they have to worship together and take communion together and in some cases house each other and take care of one another. This is what Paul dealt with as he tried to share the gospel with Gentiles, prejudice from the Jews. He had to continually remind the churches that Jesus' plan surpassed ancient racial barriers. I really believe Paul was passionate about this, not just because of the reality of cultural and racial differences in the first century church, but even more so because of his own experience in being an enemy of the church and being so loved and accepted by the same followers he wants persecuted. In other words, Paul had a deeper understanding about this. And that's why he was so passionate about preaching. we got to be united. we got to love one another. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I mean, you, you read some of these verses, Paul was passionate about this stuff because he himself understood I was an enemy. And yet, I have been loved by God and forgiven by God, and I've been loved by somebody like Philip and forgiven by him. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, he says so confidently, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's talking to the Gentiles. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands. And regulations and he reminds the Gentiles who they are and where they were before Christ he proclaims that Jesus has destroyed this wall of hostility in the temple in the temple in Jerusalem, there was an actual wall that kept Gentiles separate from Jewish worship and so he's using this imagery saying this, this is, there's no longer this wall because in Christ 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 ended it all and his purpose No more slave and free, no more black, white, Hispanic, Asian, no more man, woman, but one new race, all under Christ. And so Paul is telling the Gentiles and helping them to understand how thankful they need to be Gentiles. We're Gentiles. We're not. I mean, I'm not Jewish. I mean, we're Gentiles. How thankful we need to be and that in Christ, there's no barrier, no difference, because we are all equal. At the foot of the cross. Once they accept this, once they can accept this, true peace can be embraced and lived out in God's household. In Christ, there's no more Jew and Gentile. It's just one people, His body, His church. And yet sometimes as we bring our cultural differences into the church, because we are a fallen and sinful people, Sundays in our world in the world can be one of the most segregated days of the week. But this is one of the reasons I love this group. I mean, look at this group. This this is God's vision. This is God's plan. Every color, language, nation, race, background one new humanity. We're living it out, guys. Not awesome. But Satan uses our sinful nature and how we were brought up to cause division, because that's what he wants. Satan wants chaos, division, mistrust, deceit. That's Satan's tools. And and so you were hurt by a leader 10 years ago in the church. And now every leader is difficult for you to trust. And so then in your intentional discipling relations, if you don't you don't give your heart to that person because they're so different from you, because I just can't relate. I just they just don't relate with me. I can't learn anything from them because I just I can't relate. (laughs) And then in our small group, you know, we're we're the youngest person in the small group. And so we don't relate to anybody in the small group. So uh, I'm just going to not show up to small group then. or then we're the oldest person in the small group and what's up with all these young people they want to go out so late at night i just want to go to sleep and you know why can't i just i just want to go home i'm tired and so we don't push ourselves to give to each other and break through those barriers because of our sinful nature and so the they don't understand what I'm going through becomes our lens for relationship building and decision making to the point of making disrespectful judgments or having prejudice towards others. They just don't understand me. They just don't understand my situation. They don't understand what I'm going through. And so now we view every relationship in the body of Christ, one new humanity, we view it through that lens. Instead of I was an enemy of God. And he loved me enough to give up Jesus just as he much as he loved that girl and that guy and that dude over there that I, never, I would never see myself getting along with or inviting to my house. Satan, he's a master at division. He's a master at chaos. He's a master at mistrust. He's a master at accusation. And I shared about this this past Sunday, the idea that, you know, a lot of us, we bring into our relationships our past and our hurts and our uh, mistrust, and and it's real, it's true. But man, should that not be filtered by God's Word and His Spirit and self-denial and carrying of the cross in order to love one another as Christ has loved us. And then now, all of a sudden, I can actually have a healthy conversation with somebody who's from a totally different generation than I am, or a totally different race than I am, or maybe just a little bit socially awkward. We might have a little awkward silence, you know. You ever had awkward silence with somebody? you just kind of like, I have nothing else to say right now. But hey, you and I are still the same at the foot of the cross, amen. Jesus Jesus gives us the answer through his example on how to love beyond barriers and walls. But it requires a decision. I think Philip had to decide to love Paul and invite him back into the house. I think Paul had to decide to love Philip, in a way not not to not 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 to allow what he went through with Philip to distract from an actual potential healthy relationship. Right. To where he's so self-condemning that he won't give his heart to Philip. Does that make sense? Yeah. But yet he, he trusted. He had to have a make a decision to trust God that Philip's going to forgive me enough for me to spend the night at his house. Can I show you a quick video? It's kind of funny. I've probably, you've probably seen this before, but I want to show this video. It's really short, and then we'll close out with just a couple practicals here, okay? Probably you already seen this, but it's kind of funny.
0: When elephants we- retire, many pack their derms for the Elephant Sanctuary in Tennessee. They arrive here one by one, but stay here two by two. Every elephant that comes here searches out someone that she then spends most all of her time with. What are you doing? Sanctuary co-founder Carol Buckley says it's like best girlfriends. It's just like us, you know, somebody that they relate to, they have something in common with. Oh, hello, how are you? Debbie has Ronnie. Best buds, these two. Misty can't live without Delore. And perhaps the closest friends of all. (laughs) Tara and Bella, of course. (laughs) There's no other elephant around here? That's Tara. Just these two. And this is Bella. This is her friend. And her friend just happens to be a dog and not an elephant. That's hilarious. Bella is one of more than a dozen stray dogs that have found a home at the sanctuary. Most want nothing to do with the elephants and vice versa. But not this odd couple. They are absolutely inseparable. When it's time to eat, they both eat together, they drink together, they sleep together, they play together. Tara and Bella have been close for years, but no one really knew how close they were until recently. A few months ago, Bella suffered a spinal cord injury. She couldn't move her legs, couldn't even wag her tail. For three weeks, the dog lay motionless up in the sanctuary office. And for three weeks, the elephant held vigil. Twenty seven hundred acres to roam free. And Tara just stood in the corner. To me, it really was she was concerned about about her friend. Then one day, co founder Scott Blake carried Bella onto the balcony so she and Tara could at least see each other. And Bella's tail started wagging. You know, and, and we had no choice but to bring Bella down to see Tara. <laughs> you know? They visited like this every day till Bella could walk. Wow. Today their love and trust is stronger than ever bella even lets tara pet her tummy with her foot they harbor no fears no secrets no prejudices just two living creatures who somehow manage to look past their immense differences take a good look america take a good look world if they can do it what's our excuse I people at the same say that over you
1: Guys, if a dog and elephant can do it, what is our excuse? I love that. But this, this, is, this is what God's plan is for his people. We're all a bunch of dogs and elephants in here. Just trying to get along with one another. In Christ, though, one new humanity. I'll tell you, in our relationships with one another, there, there will be awkward silences. There will be weird interactions. But we've got to push ourselves. We've got to decide, I'm going to love this person no matter what. Because at the end of the day, we're the same at the foot of the cross. I remember as a teenager, I had this uh, mentor in my life. His name was Greg Ergel. And he now is part of the uh, – I think it's in Orlando, Florida, I think. But anyway, I was 16, and he was—he had to been like in his mid-40s. He was bald with like kind of like a little mullet <laughs> and his wife, and they adopted a little girl. And, um, and so I found out he was going to be my new mentor, and I was like, this guy and I will have nothing in common. I was really into, like, R&B and hip-hop and stuff like that. And he was, like, really into country. And not only was he in the country, but he liked to write his own songs. I, he was one of those. I wrote a song about I'd like to hear it, hear it go. You know what I'm saying? He, he was one of those guys, you know? And so for our discipling time, he'd say, hey, Ruth, come on over to the house. I got a song. And I, I remember going to his house, and I'm like, gosh. Father, God, why? I have nothing in common with this person. I hate country music. You know, and, it's, and it's, as a teenager, music sort of defines categories of people, right? You guys remember being a teenager, and so uh, now I'm actually, I actually like country music now, and I'm actually a fan of country music, but back in that day, I was definitely wasn't. I'm just saying... I will never forget Greg. He was one of the closest, he was one of my heroes in the faith. And at that point, in that time in my life, at that moment, I needed him. I didn't need the cool guy with the hip hop pants and the, you know, the mad freestyle flow. I didn't need that guy. (laughs) I needed country redneck Greg. And I'll tell you, every time I've been able to see Greg, I've I've been able to see him through the years at different conferences and stuff. I always tell him, I just want you to know, Greg, I share about you in lessons that I do. And I tell him I'm so thankful that for that time and that grade, at that point in my life, you were there because you were the best person for me to talk to. I received so much incredible advice, and I actually enjoyed, ended up enjoying our times together, and I – I almost cried when he ended up having to move to another ministry and stuff like that because we had become so close. And so I I share that just because it's always a a fresh memory in my mind. Wow, I, I had to make a decision to love somebody different than me, totally different from me. And when I did, man, we became the best of friends, even though he was like 30 years older than me. And I think, man, if we could do that, if we could do that here, if we could do that in in, in the body of Christ, in the church, if we could do that more, man, how God would bless that. And people will know you are my disciples. If you love one another as I've loved you. So now what? Well, number one, I want to encourage you. Have a Beyond Barriers moment in the next seven days. What do I mean by this? Decide to love outside of your comfort zone. You know there's that one person in your family or there's that one person in your small group or at your job who you just don't get along with, you don't connect with. Serve them this week. Invite them over to your home. Take them out for a coffee. Stop by and say hello to them at work and ask them how their weekend was. Invite them to church. There is someone that you know that is the most unopened person in your family or at your job. And yet, Paul was one of the most unopened people, an enemy, a destroyer of the church. And yet, look what happened to him. Invite them to church. You just never know what's going to happen. Have a beyond barriers moment, push yourself, make the decision. I'm going to agape this person this week. I'm just going to agape them and see what happens. And it may be the most awkward interaction you have all week. <laughs> but you'll be like, man, you know, at the end of the day, Jesus died for both of us. So what's the big deal? One new humanity. I want to encourage you to have a beyond barriers moment in the body of Christ. You know, go out of your way this Sunday to encourage one of the campus students in your sector, in your church, one of the single moms, one of the newlywed couples. You know, newlywed couples need a lot of encouragement. Being a newlywed is difficult. First year in marriage is challenging. Go encourage them. Uh, you know, we have older we have older members in our congregation. You know, in the in the west side they call them the glitter girls. You know, in the in the in GLB in GLB they call them the, the MDs the mature disciples you know and these are the women that, that need help sometimes walking to their seats and go out of your way to serve them encourage them beyond the barriers of your regular interactions at service on Sunday i'll go i'll go even further sit next to somebody that you don't know at Sunday at church or sit somewhere differently you know, we all, we all have, by habit, our spot in church that we're going to sit at. Go sit somewhere else and see what happens. See who you meet. You know, I think a lot of us, we can get, we can get trapped into this, well, like, who's going to encourage me? Well, what about me? Nobody calls me back. Nobody encourages me. Listen, it's not about you. It's about you deciding... To love as Christ has loved you. You don't have control over somebody else calling you back. You don't have control over somebody encouraging you. But you do have control over how much you give and how much you love beyond the barriers in your life. Some of you may have a Philip in your life that you just need to be so thankful for their forgiveness. Express that. Some of you guys have a Paul in your life that you need to break through the barriers and start forgiving that person. And love them as God has called you to. I have a Bible study assignment for you. Read Romans chapter 12 through 15. It's an incredible set of scripture. Talking about differences and matters of opinion. And how we need to work together. And and love must be sincere. And living living sacrifice. All some great Bible study stuff. In those chapters. Good quiet time there for the next few days. I'll close out by reading this passage in Romans 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. God, we are so thankful that Jesus died for each one of us, that we, at the end of the day, are the same and equal at the foot of the cross, that no matter what sort of racial, cultural, socioeconomic divide there may be in our world, through you in the body of Christ, we are a new humanity. Thank you, God for your plan to bring peoples from all races, all nations together to be one. Help us to push through this week. Help us to love beyond the barriers. Help us to feel fine about awkward moments and interactions, and to push through and to learn a lesson from the dog and the elephant. If they can do it, what's our excuse, God? I pray that through that sort of love and acceptance of one another, the world would know that we are your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great night.
0: You've just listened to the Elevate podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.